How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dead Jester Productions podcast. I'm your host, Josh, or Jay Moskers. This is episode number 161. Special guest this week is also Josh from The Pursuit of Infinity. Welcome, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? And uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about your show? What you got going I'm, on? I'm doing well. Um, so our show is called Pursuit of Infinity, and it's a podcast where we discuss psychedelics mainly, uh, spirituality, philosophy, and all other types of esoteric philosophies, um, along with just basic cultural commentary as well. Nice. Where you mentioned like the culture, are you referring to like how it's accepted in culture, like uh, where it's become more mainstream in some aspects, maybe? Yeah, definitely. And so we have the way it's usually set up is I run the podcast with my brother. So We'll do one week where it's him and I discussing usually some like deep esoteric philosophy. And then the mm-hmm. next week I'll interview somebody. And, you know, I've had people on that range in, from all kinds of fields, um, you know, PhD philosophers, uh, people who have like political insight as well. So when I say cultural mm-hmm. commentary, um, that's what I'm sort of referring to. It can okay. be a wide ranging conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as someone who is not super knowledgeable on on it. Where would you start? Like, where would you tell someone to start if they're trying to, you know, get into just uh, psychedelics in general? Well, with psychedelics, I feel like research and informing yourself is the most important thing when it comes to um, considering whether or not you want to partake in any substances. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, I, when anyone always asks me, like I get people asking me all the time, like, should I try psychedelics? Like, what should I start with? Where should I go? Um, And I always say, I don't recommend that anyone take psychedelics because Mm -hmm. they are so profound and so powerful. And unless I know you really, really well, and I love you, I can't like consciously say like, you should go do psychedelics. (laughs) But what I do tell people is that what you should do is you should research psychedelics because what's going to happen if you research psychedelics, at the very least, you're going to open up your mind to a realm of possibilities that would no, would never be available to you if you didn't go down this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. My uh, my only experience with anything in that uh, sort of you know lifestyle is like I we have uh, they're called death by gummy bears gummies. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a hundred milligram uh, delta eight gummy bears. Oh yeah, which is nice. Terrible to get started with though. Hundred milligram. I agree. And, uh, yeah, 100 milligrams. Someone who's never tried much. it, so I was like, uh, and I I talked to Klaus about this on the show before, and uh, he's like, yeah, eat like a foot maybe or something. I was like, okay, sounds good. And I did that. I had like, no, I don't want to say no reaction, but it was just like nothing super noticeable. Like I had to actually like think, like, is there anything really different going on here? And there wasn't really anything going on. And then the next time I was like, all right, maybe I'll try just a little bit more. And I was gonna be like, all right, I'll I'll eat like one leg and then a tiny little bit extra of the bear and I ended up eating like two thirds of it and it was way too much. <laughs> I, remember, I remember telling him about how I, I was sitting here at my desk in the office and I don't usually watch like impractical jokers like the, the prank show. And, uh, but for whatever reason I found myself watching clips of it on YouTube, like wheezing, gasping for air. I was laughing so hard and I had this like moment of clarity somehow at some point I, was, I, I like slapped my hand down and hit the space bar to stop the video. I turn around. I'm just sitting there like red faced, like, you know, trying to catch my breath. And I'm like, oh, this is this has gone too far. 
And then all of a sudden I have like a panic attack. And I was like, this is, this is not a good, uh, not a good scenario. So I go, I get like a, a cold shower that helps me a little bit, but then the, the shower is like spinning around me. I have no idea how to get out of the shower. I go and I lay down. Eventually I was able to get everything under control. And that's the, uh, that's a short version of what happened because people have heard it here before on the show, but that's really my only experience with anything is, <laughs> is that in particular. So I've, uh, I've taken not just a step back, but like 10 steps back, I would say. Yeah. You know, people don't really <laughs> realize that cannabis is a psychedelic. It has very psychedelic effects, especially at high doses. It's so funny you bring that up. It, it, it makes me want to tell you this quick story that, uh, <laughs> have you ever heard of RSO? No. It's like this, uh, it's like a, a cannabis tincture. So I have a medical card. Um, I'm in Pennsylvania, so uh, cannabis is medically legal here. I'm so I have a medical card because um, I also have Crohn's disease, which uh, qualified me. Yeah, Rick Simpson. Yep, Rick okay. Simpson oil. Yep. Um, so I first heard about this stuff from uh, my cousin, and she gave me just a tiny little bit. Uh, what she did was she put it on a fruit snack. So it's like a tincture that comes in like a syringe. And it's basically oil. So you just eat it, essentially. So she put just a little tiny bit on a little gummy uh, gummy worm for me. And I ate it, and I felt really good. And it, it didn't destroy me. It was a, it was a nice high. Um, so I was like, man, I got to get some of this stuff. So I went over to the dispensary, and, uh, and I grabbed one. And so I put, by accident, I put 10 times the dose on to my own fruit snack. <laughs> And I mean, what ensued from there was like two straight days of just like chaos. It was, it was so crazy. I, I was at the highest that I had been probably about 12 hours after ingesting it, which is very uncharacteristic of an edible. Uh, usually yeah. like you're at your highest, like, you know, hour three or four, you know, okay. then it lasts maybe eight hours total. But this, I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night just annihilated i couldn't even make it to the bathroom i had to piss so bad um Jeez. it was it was crazy it was crazy so yeah i mean cannabis definitely i i consider it a psychedelic interesting i'd also seen like uh this is not something i've tried but they have what is it called i think it's mind bloom it's like uh it's like ketamine therapy for mm -hmm. like anxiety or something or like depression and i think Based on what was explained to me, this is I'm getting this from someone else, or they explained it as like uh, they lay down. They it's like pills. They take the pills. Maybe it's one pill. I don't remember. And they lay down. They have like an experience, and then immediately after, like they they write notes in like a journal. Like as soon as they're maybe they do it while they're doing it. I don't remember exactly, but it's like it's just therapy, and they're writing all these notes down. And then afterwards, they go back and look at the notes they took and reflect upon it. And uh, I think while you're doing it, you put like headphones in. They have like a person, I think it's pre-recorded, but like I think it's a person talking to you, like, you know, guiding you through it and everything like that. And it's just a, it's a way to deal with depression or like relationship issues or anything like that. I don't know if you've tried anything in that regard. I have not tried ketamine myself, mm -hmm. um, but I am uh, well aware of its uses uh, in therapeutic settings. Now, ketamine, it's, uh, it's considered like a disassociative and uh, it's used as like an animal tranquilizer as well. So it's a really mm -hmm. strange uh, chemical. And it was just pretty much discovered recently that ketamine can be used, uh, you know, widely for, for therapeutic uses. 
Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting compound. It does disassociate you quite a bit. And if you take enough, um, you go what is into what is called a, like a K hole. That's what they call yeah. it. It's like a slang term for like, basically like you're just dosing yourself high, like at a high dose and mm -hmm. you lose sense of yourself and sort of quote unquote, leave your body in a way. Um, yeah. and yeah, people, people can, recover from some intense traumas and, uh, some intense bouts of depression with ketamine. Uh, I, I've interviewed actually yesterday, I had, uh, an interview with a psychedelic therapist from Colorado. Um, she works for a place called the center for medicinal mindfulness. And I also interviewed the founder of, uh, of that place in Colorado yeah. and they use ketamine and they also use cannabis as uh, like a psychedelic for psychedelic therapy. Um, in the same way that uh, some of these clinical trials that you'll see um, are using like psilocybin, which is the active component in mushrooms. <clears throat> um, yeah, and they they have this <clears throat> this fantastic protocol that takes you through this beautiful journey uh, where you know address your traumas and go through a therapy session with a guide. It's it's a it's a really really great uh, atmosphere. Do we have anything like that in Pennsylvania? I've never looked into this. I have no idea. Actually, right down the road from me, there's a, there's a ketamine clinic. So it's definitely on the rise. Uh, and this place was just built like a year or two ago. Um, and you're, you're seeing them pop up all over the place. They're becoming very popular. And as you said, Mind Bloom as well. Um, you yeah. can basically get like lozenges. Yeah. yeah, you just order them online. And you don't really have to um, really do a whole lot there. You don't have to. There's no like uh, qualification protocol like that's quite deep. Um, you can pretty mm -hmm. much just sign up. And they assign you with a guide. They assign you with a coach. And yeah, you just take it by yourself. It's quite interesting. Nice. Yeah, I don't know what the pricing is. I know, like, I think I just looked it up a second ago here while we were talking about it. Like, I think Mind Bloom amounts to basically $1,200 for six sessions. It's like over the course of three months. It's, yeah, yeah, and that's, the, that's yeah. The, the trouble, I think, with uh, a lot of these psychedelic therapy centers and some of the places that are trying to monopolize and uh, um, turn these substances, these substances into like a consumer product is you're going to find mm -hmm. that a lot of them are going to be unaffordable, which I see Until as an issue. It's more mainstream and then they're, they have more competitors maybe. Yeah, it's just a, a question of access. You know, how how easily accessible are these these substances? Because they are revolutionary uh, when it comes to therapeutic use. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even here, where I, I mean, I'm, I don't want you to dox yourself or anything, but like I live in a super small area. They have one dispensary. And I think it's probably like, I don't know, you'd have to go maybe an hour and a half away to find another town that probably has one. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just... There's nothing around. It's it's weird. Like it, I remember when it opened up, uh, and this is personal experience with the people I work with who are in like their mid to late fifties, early sixties, <laughs> very different age range than myself. But uh, they were like blown away. They're like, I can't believe it. Can you believe this is the funniest thing? Like, I can't believe that you can just go to a store and and you know get marijuana. And it's just like, okay, you know, it's just it's a interesting like social aspect of uh of having access to these sorts of things, considering like where we were, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, maybe. Yeah. We're really living in uh, like a revolutionary time in my opinion. And you're seeing, you know, shows like uh, on Netflix, uh, Michael Pollan's documentary series, how to change your mind where, you know, he's, 
he's going over episode by episode um, how to like properly use each of these substances. I think he did psilocybin in one episode, uh, LSD, mescaline, which is peyote, um, and I forget what else he book. did. But yeah, based on his book, yeah, How to Change Your Mind, which is a fantastic book. Speaking of places to start, if you ever want to get into psychedelics, that is a great book to start with. Interesting. I'll have to go ahead and slot that right into the uh, the old shopping cart, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Like, I don't know. I, you've talked to more professionals than, than obviously I have about this sort of thing. But like, how would you say like the perception is changing just on uh, recreational use of like psychedelics and, and substances in general that might have otherwise been completely like... Uh, uh, shunned in, within the last decade? I mean, it, it's changing vastly. I mean, it was, I mean, shunned to the 10th degree in the 60s. I mean, there there was so much propaganda. And yeah. I mean, and they, they, they created the, um, the Controlled Substances Act in 1968, which essentially outlawed all of these tryptamine psychedelics. Um, but you're seeing now there's a resurgence of them. Um, mm -hmm. And in my view, <clears throat> what this is, the, the resurgence is sort of a response to a society in which our values are based on capitalism and consumerism. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and, <clears throat> and you have a whole swath of the population who are uh, depressed. We have a mental health crisis in this country, in the whole Western world, really. And people are realizing that by using these so-called outlawed, toxic, poisonous substances that are going to rot your brain and make you stare at the sun for hours until your eyes burn out, you mm -hmm. can actually do some really, really productive work with these substances. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are books upon books that are coming out um, and you can find podcasts, videos. I mean, there are just, the internet is filled with this stuff. And I think it also coincided with a lot of these clinical trials that are popping up. Um, you're seeing Johns Hopkins university, um, conducting clinical trials with psilocybin, which again is the uh, active component in magic mushrooms. Uh, they, they did studies, uh, with smoking cessation, um, people quitting smoking, um, uh, they're finding a high success rate there. Um, also end of life, um, anxiety, people that have like terminal illnesses like cancer, they are finding that, um, through these psilocybin sessions, uh, they're able to come to terms with their own death. Um, and they're able to accept the reality of life itself. It's really a, it's, they have a, such a wide ranging use case. Um, but what we're seeing now is these substances are entering our society through the medical model and through a lot of these clinical trials. Um, so I think that's, that's where it's beginning and that's where uh, it's collecting its steam. It is interesting. Like uh, the approach that we take uh, in, with regards to some things, like you mentioned, like end of life, how other countries will have like, um, I guess I think a lot of times they just over overdose them on morphine. If I remember correctly. Uh, they might yeah. use different substances some places, but that's, that's the one I was familiar with at the time. It's weird how it's like, okay, let's let this person choose their own way out. 
where I feel like in a lot of places, maybe it's just certain generations, maybe it's just based on my experience with the people I grew up around and, uh, you know, spend time around, but like the weird stigma that comes with it where it's like, I can't believe that, you know, somebody would even think of doing that. Um, I don't know if I find it, find it interesting, like why people are so uh, hesitant to just kind of let, you know, people make their own choices for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, that notion of like, why would someone ever, ever want to do these things? You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's where my head was at too. When I first started getting into psychedelics, you know, I, I heard, I think the very first time I started getting into this subject, um, I heard a guy named Terrence McKenna talking. Uh, He is a psychedelic explorer, philosopher, lecturer, and uh, just one of the, um, the most magnificent minds that I've ever heard speak. Um, and I heard him talking about the potentials of psychedelics and not not for therapy at all, not for any of the of, of, of the things that you're seeing in the medical model. What he was talking about was being able to access other realities, being able to dissolve the veil that is like our minds and the chemical components in our minds that sort of filter out what's really there, which is like an information field, you know, yeah. claiming that you can get access to this information. And that you can access um, intelligent entities on the other side of some of these really powerful experiences. And I thought, man, that's uh, that's not what I was taught in school. <laughs> so I was super interested and uh, started to dive in myself. Um, and it, the rubber really met the road when I had the experiences myself. Um, then I realized like, oh, that's what he was talking about. And I realized that, yes, these people are right. Interesting. Then you have like, a, I think Klaus was telling me about this, like DMT. I think it was, he was, he was going to try that at some point. I guess that's the one where people see like elves and stuff sometimes or something. Yeah. DMT is magnificent. Um, you can definitely encounter entities on LSD and psilocybin as well. Um, mm-hmm. But a big, big part of the DMT experience seems to be encountering entities, intelligent entities. Yeah. Um, and they are indescribable in the way that they present themselves. You can only use the English language to describe them, but it doesn't quite get it across to someone who hasn't experienced it themselves. But yes, you can access entities that have a seemingly uh, individual exterior intelligence from your own, and they know you, they love you, and they want to give you information. And a lot of it, it seems like it's an urgent message too. Like they, they're so happy when you get there, you know, and <laughs> when I like the experiences that I've had with entities, um, the one that was the most profound um, with DMT was I had an experience where I saw what I can only describe as like a Mother Mary type of entity. It was like it it was it's so hard to describe, but she looked like and she had a feminine energy to her as well. And it looked like in my vision. um like a hooded sort of like mother Mary shaped entity. And she was just like pouring love on me. And it was, it was just, <laughs> it was amazing because when you, when you smoke like a, like a free base DMT, um, it comes on in no time. Uh, it's you basically like you, you smoke it, you hold it in for as long as you can. And then as you exhale, your reality just begins to dissolve around you. And then you're in it. You're thrown right into the experience. 
And it's, it's just that's a better or worse thing to have happen. Be like right into it. Well, that's a very good question because, um, on the inverse with psilocybin, the come up is very slow. So you're really feeling the effects, uh, you're feeling it come on. And what that does a lot of times is it causes a high amounts of anxiety because you're just sort of feeling very disassociated. It's kind of creeping in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, there's a certain amount of surrender you have to do during that experience, like during that come up anxiety, uh, in order to really feel that full breadth of the peak when you get up to about an hour, hour and a half. Um, but yeah, DMT is very quick. So for someone just starting out, DMT might be a good option, but it's just so much more powerful um, that I would be hesitant with DMT as well. Does it have a fast come down as well then at the end? Yeah, I mean, I've had experiences that lasted three minutes. Um, I can see that being very short. better than in that regard. So you're not having this lengthy like decline over time where you're just desperate for to end maybe <laughs> yeah and like you don't have to dedicate your entire night to it you know if you take mushrooms you're gonna be you're gonna be in it for six hours at least uh, and after it's over you're still gonna be tripping a little bit even when you're so <laughs> like when you're when you've come down you're still mm-hmm. gonna have a little bit of that that psilocybin funniness in you uh but dmt i mean you and the uh, and also a difference between psilocybin and dmt is when you take psilocybin you really feel high, you know, your mind feels altered, uh, your body feels heavy, you really do feel like you're high. When you when you smoke DMT, and it launches you into another reality, mm-hmm. you are yourself, you feel like yourself, you know, um, right. okay. you know, and what I usually do is I'll smoke it, and I'll close so my you eyes, feel like you're wizard of Ozing it. You're Similarly, yeah. Right. I mean, you feel your heartbeat, you you breathe, and you're like, okay, uh, I'm here, I'm not dead, uh, this is, you know, I'm all right, but, and it, it's completely you, um, you're just thrown into just another reality. Interesting. Speaking of, you had mentioned before too, like spirituality, have any of like the psychedelics affected your viewpoint on like things like that, like your uh, like a religion or just any sort of uh, anything spiritual related, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, yeah. And it's, it's my favorite part of, of psychedelics. To me, it's the most important part as well. Um, within, you know, 30 seconds of the first peak of my first psychedelic experience, I, uh, my atheism was out the window because I used to be a very staunch atheist, uh, very scientifically minded, um, if you couldn't measure it and prove it, it wasn't in existence. And I was the type of person that liked to prove others that I was right and they were wrong, especially when it came to religion. Um, but after having these experiences, um, it was shown to me that there is something outside of ourselves. Um, the thing that religious people call God and the thing that Eastern religions call spirituality um, that is real and it is accessible with psychedelics. And one of the things psychedelics showed me was that, and this is a quote from a uh, spiritual guru, Ram Das. Um, and I I've always loved how he described this. He describes spirituality as like a big giant mountain and each person is 
positioned around the mountain at a different spot. So that could be Christianity, Catholicism, psychedelics, Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, whatever, whatever your flavor is. Um, but ultimately all of us are all going up the mountain and we're all heading to the top. We're all heading in the same direction. And when we get up to the peak, to the very top of the mountain, we are intermingling with one another and it's indistinguishable which philosophy or which path each of us took. You know, essentially just illustrating the fact that, you know, all spirituality, all religion, they're all pointing to the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I still have a problem with organized religion in the way that it conducts itself. Um, it's, it's indoctrination methods and things like that. Uh, it's become a means of control and, um, but I, I, I respect religions. I understand them. And, uh, now I, you know, I consider myself, um, not an atheist for sure. Not an atheist. I don't know what I am. Um, <laughs> but I do know that I have felt and touched, you know, what I like to call like the transcendent, you can call it God, you can call it whatever you want, but mm -hmm. I felt it to a degree that it is undeniable to me that it's real and it's true. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Cause I can, I can absolutely see people in the comments saying this. It's like, what if someone asks you then, all right, well, how do you know that this is real and not just because you're high on drugs? Right. I'm sure people mention that all the time. Yeah. And you know what? It's a, it's a fair and it's a great question. And yeah. what I would say to that is if you were to be, if you were a Christian and you were told that God exists, you know, God exists mm -hmm. in the form of some guy in the sky who's judging your every move. Looks like um, Ewan McGregor from Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? <laughs> I would hope that it would be Ewan McGregor from Star Wars if there was a guy like that. I I, I would kneel before him. That dude's amazing, <laughs> especially as Obi-Wan. But um, regardless of, of whether or, or what religion you're in, you know, you're being told that a God exists. And that has become... The lexicon for us that's become our definition of what god is but what i say god is and what i'm trying to get across is there's an experiential aspect of reality that if you meditate take psychedelics certain spiritual practices there's a bunch of ways that you can actually get to it but it takes work you can using your consciousness you can connect to something that feels like what they describe as God. Now, I'm not going to claim what it is or how it acts or, you know, what its goals are or, you know, where it is or anything like that. That's the job of, you know, religions and they can do that to their heart's content, um, which is also my issue with religions. But what this is, it's, it's merging your true self, your, your true being with like the breadth of the universe and reality. And I know that's like woo wooey, you know, it kind of sounds like magical or whatever, but again, w with the English language, it's, um, it becomes impossible, uh, to describe these, these things. So what I would say is that true spirituality is within yourself, finding it within yourself. Um, that's why meditation is, is such a fantastic way to, to connect yourself with, you know, with the all or the transcendent is, uh, mm -hmm. spirituality is about finding out who you really are because in this world, when we're brought up 
as especially as Americans, we're we're taught that, you know, in my case and in your case, you're Josh, you're in my case five feet, six in your case, inches you're tall, also Josh. you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you have to go to school and define yourself as your job. Your goal is to get money and do this and that. And this is how this is what you define as who you are and what you are. But what psychedelics teach us and what a lot of these Eastern traditions teach us is that that's not who you are. You're not your preferences. You are not your thoughts. And what psychedelics do at a high enough dose is they produce what people call an ego death. Have you heard of this phrase before? I've heard the phrase and I don't remember what it means. So people use the word ego death. I like to call it like an ego disillusion or it like shuts your ego down. So what happens is, and and this is like, this is terrifying when it, when it's happening. Um, you're, you feel like you're dying. Your mind is, is convincing your body that it's dying. And all the alarms are going off in your body. All the stresses, all the fight or flight, it's all going off saying, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying, get out, get out, You know, do what you can to get away from this. And what you have to do is surrender to that feeling and allow yourself to die. That's why people call it an ego death. And what happens a lot of times is you lose the sense of who you are and what you are. And you merge with something that is outside of human biology, it feels like. It's a... Uh, you feel as if your consciousness is merging with something higher, a higher intelligence, a higher form of being. Um, and I think that's how I would describe the feeling of God or the transcendent. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, I I don't even know where I fall on something. Like, I I don't know that I'm an atheist, but, like, I've always had, like, I keep growing up, my grandparents took care of me on the weekends and things like that. And uh, I'd always be going to church with them. And I hated it because I was bored more than anything. And uh, and then uh, it was a, they were Christians, right? And so I was, you know, that's just kind of the experience I had. But I never really bought into it. I, I, I kind of appreciated like some of the messaging, um, you know, like the be kind, you know, treat people well, you know, that's, you know, that whole sort of style of thinking. But I never, like you had mentioned before, like some of the ways it's, you know, indoctrination or uh, in, in not, I don't think it's necessarily small churches as much, but like the mega churches for sure, where it's literally just scamming people out of their money, that sort of thing. You know, I, I, I have a problem with that side of it. Like the, the, <laughs> I don't even know what you'd, you'd call it. The big business side of church, as opposed to the kind messaging. And I feel like that could be related to a lot of religions as well. Um, you know, I can kind of, I don't know, I, I can kind of appreciate the, uh, the messaging for a lot of it. I'd be curious to see if I ever tried like DMT or any of these psychedelics, if I had sort of a, an experience like you had mentioned before as well about, like you said, you're not an atheist, but you're not sure what you are. Yeah. I mean, these experiences, if you have a deep enough one and you take enough, mm-hmm. um, they're guaranteed to change the way you feel about um, reality, existence, uh, the quote unquote God, all of that. Um, because it really, it, you didn't like when, when you have an experience like that, it, it's, there's, there's a few aspects to it. Like for one, the things that you see and the things you experience, it's, it's such a surprise that your mind is capable of, of doing this because it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's in your mind. It's in your, it's in your head. Um, it feels like, 
And that is an extraordinary experience when you realize what your mind is capable of. It makes yeah. you wonder, it, it, it takes into consideration what consciousness is, what it means to be alive. Um, and these, these experiences can be, can be disassociating. You know, people can have problems coming back from, uh, from these types of, of experiences. This is why uh, they say integration is the most important part. Um, and that essentially means just integrating what you've learned and what you've seen into your life and into, uh, you know, your daily practices. And a lot of times you'll come back and the things you'll be talking about, some of the things that you say you've seen and described, people will call you crazy. I was called mm -hmm. crazy. I still am called crazy by people close to me. Um, I'm but I mean, it doesn't really because, matter. But it's more because of the things I say and do than anything else. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> but hey, you know, the crazy ones, I think, are the ones that are on the cutting edge of, uh, of figuring out what's really going on in this world. Sometimes. There are some actual crazy people, though, I'd say. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and <laughs> they should not take psychedelics either. On, you know, uh, you know, talking shows and, you know, support, you know, literally Hitler. But, you know, I won't, I won't drop any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no name drops, but I think we all know what's up. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, you're right. I, they're, they're all, like I said, there's always that like stigma about using any sort of substance where people are just, will, will immediately come out and be like, I can't believe you do that. I think less of you as a person, but then you have, you know, a lot of these similar people will go to the bar and drink heavily all night or whatever. And it's, it, I, I, it's a similar, not quite the same, but there's a comparison I like to make too, where people will will make fun of people. Like I know people, I, I work with people that have done this where it's like, they will make fun of people for playing video games or just watching like people on Twitch, like video game streaming and things like that. And they'll say, I can't believe you're, why would you watch them? Like, I, why would you watch a video game? Why would you play a video game? It's not real. Like you're not like, why wouldn't you just go do it for real? But those same people will sit down and watch the NFL from morning to night every weekend. They'll watch, you know, college football, they'll watch all sorts of sports on TV. It's the exact same concept. But they, for some for some reason, it's okay for them. It's always uh, I always found that to be an interesting uh, comparison to make, at least. But yeah, man, different strokes for different folks, man. And you know, you have to be able to appreciate what, you know, what sets a person's heart on fire, regardless of what it is. You know, it's it's about uh, what people are passionate about. You know, what what really gets them going in life. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, again, that's a lesson that psychedelics taught me because like I said before, I was the same way. I would always look at people um, and if they didn't like the same bands that I did or movies that I did, I thought, oh, you're a piece of shit. You know, you're just not, you're not a, you're not a, a valuable person because you don't think the way that I do. And I mean, that's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. I also want to quick apologize for the screaming children outside my window. If you can hear them, I'm not sure if you can, but there's these kids freaking out outside playing um and it's like 30 degrees so i don't know what they're doing but um I don't but know. yeah I it's throughout as well because there's a lot super loud vehicles going by all the time there's people with their uh their souped up trucks that you know they they you know they take the mufflers off and everything like that so I, i'm always editing that out in the background or muting myself I try and do it uh you know as, as sneakily as possible so it doesn't interrupt the show yeah, the, the, the struggles of living in an apartment and not having like a soundproofed studio, right? I have like a semi-soundproof office. It's just that loud. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, the, That's nice though. The, the whole half, the half of the office I work, like 
I mean, my, my office is maybe like, I think it's eight, 20 feet long. So it's like the wall in front of me is soundproofed. And then the, the walls going back on either side are soundproof, but I have a window and I can't really soundproof it super well. So it, I have a, I have this, uh, like these hooks that you would rest the bar in for, um, like curtains. I designed a, a board that rests in that fits in the window and then I have soundproofing tiles over that, but it doesn't work perfectly because it's a window and, uh, that's, it's my best effort to soundproof stuff, but it's these trucks are so loud that go by. These people are insane. <laughs> Dude, I, I feel you. There's trucks that go by my apartment. So I live on like the second floor of an apartment and mm-hmm. these, like the trucks that go by right outside literally shake the whole place. And <laughs> there's a train like a hundred oh, feet, which I mean, I'm ecstatic that it hasn't gone by yet. <laughs> Somehow it hasn't, but yeah, it gets crazy around here where I'm at. We, my girlfriend, and I almost moved into a house where, uh, they, uh, there's a train that went by maybe 20 yards from the house. And I remember asking the realtor, uh, how often does the train actually go by? And she's like, I don't think very often. And in the process of us looking at the house, the train went by twice. <laughs> I was like, this just is not going to work. I'm sorry. I can't live in a house where there's a train going by. And it was right. A, it The train goes by like 20 yards from the house. And then on the other side of the train tracks, another 20 yards, is like a main road. So it, it's the train honking its horn. And it was, we're only there like 15, 20 minutes, maybe. So like, I'm assuming every 20 minutes, we're going to have a train going by honking the horn. I'm like, this would be a nightmare to live here. I can see why this house was for sale for so long. Yeah, people don't realize how often trains go by. I mean, they are just all day. It's like, like you said, every 15, 20 minutes, there's a train going by. Yeah. Like having a quiet place to work is important to me. One, because, you know, I do the podcast, but also like I spend a lot of time during the day for my actual job on the phone with people. I cannot have a train going by the entire time in the background. Every time I'm on a phone call, it's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like too, a lot of times people will go to, uh, when you're house hunting, you'll go to it on a weekend or like after, you know, in the evening, maybe, uh, you know, after you're done working or whatever, and it's not the opportune time to see a house. The best time is in the middle of the day on a work, like a busy work day, because then you know, like how much traffic is actually going by how noisy it is, you know, what's actually going on in the area when you're going to be home. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Just find it at its busiest time and see if you can tolerate it. That's actually a very good point. I, I never thought about that because I think a lot of people go to see open houses and stuff on the weekends yeah. when they're free, but you're yeah. not getting a true essence for what that property and what that house is like until you're there on a weekday, like, you know, mm-hmm. 1 PM or something. Yeah. One of the, uh, we went to a, we were, I was looking at land, so there's no house there at the time, but I went and looked, I, I found it online. I was like, oh, I'm going to go, I'll check this out. I think my girlfriend was at her, like her mom's or something at the time. I don't remember. It was just me though. And I go out there and this is like a Saturday at like, I don't know, 11 AM. And I'm just, I'm sitting in my car just out. There's just a piece of land. There's some houses nearby, you know, like it's like, I think it was like three and a half, four acres of land. And I'm just sitting there and, uh, this guy, you know, there's, there's, you know, people like sitting around in their yards, whatever. There's kids playing outside. I just wanted to figure out how loud it would be and like just kind of like what the, the vibe was. And I don't know how many cars drove by while I was just sitting there. And it's like not in the middle of nowhere in the country, but you know, it's not in town. 
And it was just car after car after car driving by super loud. And it was so frustrating to me. I was like, this is this is my chance. Could have had a nice quiet piece of land, but nope. And it's yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. It's hard to hard to find the perfect space. Yeah, man. Peace in this country is hard to find. <laughs> like geographically, <laughs> it's very hard to find. Yeah, my my thing is saving up money. Uh, not that I'm I'm gonna be able to afford something like that, but like preferably I'd find a lot that has lots on either side of it and I can buy both of them as well to just keep people away. So I have plenty of space to work with. I don't have to worry about a bunch of distractions and extra noise and things like that. Yeah. I always said like, if I won the lottery, I would just like buy a massive piece of land and just like Mm -hmm. move all my homies there and then like just keep everybody else out. You know what I mean? So all my loved ones are with me selfishly. uh, But then yeah, everybody else is just out. Get out. Yeah, because I grew up on like 13 and a half acres, like surrounded by woods. So I'm like, I was used to it being quiet. I remember doing like streams where I'd literally be streaming video games like outside to like, I think it was Mixer at the time we were on. But it was like dead quiet. Like I didn't have to worry about audio from other sources. The wind didn't help, but there wasn't like cars and stuff going by. It was like we were at the end of the road. So there's no traffic or anything like that. It was just so nice. And now as an adult, I'm like, what did we, what were we thinking? Why did we give up this property? <laughs> <laughs> Do you still stream? I haven't in age. It's probably been over a year at this point, to be honest. Okay. I, I did for, you know, 2020, it would have been during COVID. That's when I focused on it a lot, streamed every day for like eight hours a day, give or take. And uh, did it a lot. Went back to work full time then. And then when I would, you know, my schedule obviously got changed. But when I got back into it, I just didn't have the passion for it like I, I don't know there's something about it where it's just I felt like I was just sitting there forcing conversation with people and it just didn't feel natural and I didn't I didn't really enjoy it I I love talking to people I love communicating with people but I wasn't able to enjoy game like I wanted to play games like there were games coming out where it's like I'll use FIFA as an example I was like oh I can't wait for FIFA to come out I want to play it which realistically is a terrible example because games are not well made anymore but uh i want to sit down and play it i was like i'm excited for this game i'll stream it but then like i didn't get to enjoy the game because i'm just busy interacting with the chat the whole time i'm focusing on like does the stream look good is everything running well once i'm I'm, I'm just doing a full-time job while trying to like enjoy something and it just it sucked the passion out of it after a while because i just i couldn't enjoy the the main aspect of it which was the game um which at first wasn't a problem because I played games I was super familiar with anyway. And so it was, it wasn't about enjoying the game, but then people were, I was like, you guys can request whatever you want me to play. And then, uh, so it's, I don't know, it just became a lot more difficult to, to really enjoy it. And I've just been hesitant to get back into it. Yeah, sure. Uh, what other games did you stream? Started off with, uh, Dark Souls three, cause that was something I was mm-hmm. super familiar with. So I didn't have to concentrate on it at all. And that's the point of that was because I don't have to concentrate on the game, I can give my full attention to the the chat and uh, interacting with them and make sure everything runs well. Um, we did like Sekiro, which is also by From Software, which that was brutal, but the chat absolutely loved it. They made fun of me, but they helped me as well. Yep. Um, so that was good. What else we did? Uh, I don't really remember. Red Dead Redemption, maybe. Uh, Apex Legends. We might have done Call of Duty. I don't remember. 
nice. There's a ton of stuff we did though. Yeah, I I play a lot of Dead by Daylight, and I know that's a very popular we did, game. Uh, we for played streamers. that. I we usually did like a game per week, is what it amounted to, because it would that would be about how long it would take me to complete some of the longer games while doing a lot of like the side rather than just barreling right through it. I'd be able to do a lot of the side stuff. A little, you know, I'd be able to. The chat would set up little tasks and things for me to do, not related to actually progressing through the game. And so we'd have by the end of that week, we'd have our fill and be like, "All right, let's move on," and they'd pick the next game for me. Dead by Daylight was a, a fun one we played for a while, though. That's a pretty cool format. I like that. It it really it did work well. I I did enjoy it when it lasted. It's just I think when they started requesting me playing new games every week, where it's like, "Here's a brand new game," you know, you've been looking forward to it. We want to watch you stream it. And that's when it became a problem because I just couldn't enjoy the, the game I was looking forward to. And it ruined the games for me, quite frankly, because like my experience with that game then is not me sitting down and enjoying the game. It's, oh, I remember that game. It's where I sat there, did tech support on my computer for an hour and then got to chat with people for a little bit. And then eventually I'd get around to like playing some of the game. So at what point did you switch over to like full-time podcasting then? Or were you doing the both at the same time at a certain point? We were doing it at the same time. The podcast came, we started, we just actually have, uh, well, we're recording this on January 10th. Tomorrow, the 11th is when our three-year anniversary episode comes out, which is fun. This is episode 161. We recorded episode 156 on Friday. That's how out of order some of these have been just because of the way the scheduling has worked out. Um. But the podcast started uh, January of 2020. Uh, we launched the whole brand at the same time. We did the podcast. We had the YouTube go up. Um, we did a couple of streams, but that wasn't really our focus at the time. Uh, but we launched the whole brand at the same time. And then the only reason I really got you know into streaming uh, you know, basically full time was during the COVID lockdowns because my business didn't let us come into the office. And because so many businesses were closed, I literally couldn't do my job. Uh, I work in marketing. My job is literally going door to door, essentially. At the time, it was. Now I can work remotely. Uh, but at the time, it was like, I have to go door to door to businesses and you know, work with them on their, their advertising and things like that. And if they're closed down, I have no one to reach out to. So I was just sitting at home, twirling my fingers, decided I'll hop on Twitch and uh, start streaming. Dude, congratulations on on having your podcast for so long. I know it's it's difficult to maintain a consistent podcast for that long. Uh, we're about to hit a year in about a week that we have ours going. But man, three is that's impressive. Congratulations. Have you done? We, so we release every Wednesday. Do you do you also do the same weekly format? We do weekly. Um, depends on the weekday that you know I happen to have everything edited and everything mm-hmm. right. Because uh, I, I do have a full-time job in nine to five, so I have to work around that. And once in a while, there would be a situation where, you know, we'll miss a week or two or something like that. At one point uh, in May, I had COVID, so we missed like three That's or four weeks. It's hard to weeks. work on a podcast if you have COVID, especially if yeah. you have like the breathing issues of it. I mean, Oof. to me, like my my mind was so like altered from it, you know, like I couldn't mm-hmm. think straight. It was terrible. I had, I had a perpetual headache. It was just, it was rough. So there was no way I was going to be able to do the podcast then, let alone yeah. editing, releasing, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, we usually do weekly, uh, Thursday or Friday is usually the day that I, that I release the episodes. It's actually one of my prouder accomplishments is 
We have consistently released every single Wednesday for the entirety of the three years. That's and we'll so continue amazing, to do dude. so for at least another month and a half based on the current recording schedule since I have them edited. <laughs> Mad respect, yo. Mad respect but for that. That's amazing. I've been, yeah, I've been really, I'm proud of that. Um, you, you hit one year, you're already in the top, I think it's like top 0.01% of podcasts. I might have my math wrong there. But it's like only 1% of podcasts make it past, I think, three episodes. And then it's like, uh, I think another 1% of that 1%. So you're at like, what, a tenth of a percent make it to 100 episodes or something? I don't remember exactly. But yeah, you guys at 161, that's that's a lot. It says something it, about your work ethic. It's interesting. It's a weird, because you, you don't think of it at the time where it's like, oh, you know, we just we just kept going. You know, we I, I we started with three hosts. I'm the only one left. I'm the one that started it, to be fair as well. But uh, you know, people go in different directions in life or whatever, and uh, you know, sometimes people come back as well. And it's it's been an interesting ride, but it is con- been consistent at least. I'm very proud of that. Uh, I think consistency is the main factor in like whether or not your uh, brand can grow in any business, really. Um. So I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm happy we've been able to get so many awesome guests on and uh, been able to talk to so many different amazing people. And it's it's helped build a community that I'm really a fan of. I like chatting with all sorts of people. And uh, it's it's been funny at times too because you get people you would never expect to talk to. You end up sitting down and talking to them for like an hour at least, you know, based on the length of the show. But I mean, like going into it, I never would, I never would have thought I'd be sitting here talking about like, psychedelics and you know taking edibles and now i myself have tried edibles never would have assumed i would have done that at any point in my life before i started the the, you know the dentist productions brand as a whole no and like it it's crazy it's it's not at all what i thought was gonna happen but i've been uh been super excited for it yeah man you learn so much too and you know i've i've talked to people that i never thought i'd get the opportunity to talk to you know um I just reached out and scheduled um, a guy named Kyle Ortigo, who is like just a juggernaut in the psychedelic therapy world. He wrote this amazing book. I mean, and I've I've talked to a lot of people who have written books and have PhDs and people that I never thought I'd be able to talk to. So yeah, like just the networking aspect of it and the rewarding like feeling that you get from any kind of creative endeavor is, I mean, it makes it so worth it. All the work, all of the, you know, heartbreak, disappointment, all the stuff that comes with it. Uh, it. It's just, it's amazing. It's, it's super interesting as well, because it, I can almost use the podcast as an excuse to be able to talk to some people that I otherwise would not be able to like, all there's no scenario in which I don't have a podcast and I'm reaching out to like film producers and editors and be like, Hey, can I just chat with you and get information more often than not? They'd say no, but because I have the show, I'm able to reach out and be like, look, this is our audience. You know, we can, you know, I can help promote your stuff. Would you be interested in coming on and talking to me for a while? And they say, sure. You know, and it's obviously they're in it for, you know, help, you know, boosting whatever it is they're trying to promote, but I don't, I don't even care. It's still, it's awesome to me that I get to talk to people in industries that I'm thoroughly interested in. I'm getting to chat with them about uh, all sorts of the ins and outs. Yeah, man. So what, what's your favorite type of like uh professional or like what's your favorite type of industry to get into when you're talking to people? 
I'll, I'll start by saying like, I'm happy everyone I've talked to on the show. I've been, it's been every, even the guests that I feel like have underperformed not to like throw anyone under the bus or anything. Uh, there's, there's one in particular we always point to and I feel bad about it. Um, but like there's guests that come on where it's like, it doesn't, sometimes they just don't vibe super well with, you know, our, you know, the energy of the show and, you know, just the, the, you know, it's just a different vibe and it just doesn't work out as perfectly as it otherwise might. And it just is what it is. It's nothing against them. It's just, you know, we have a certain way about, you know, the way we run our show and our humor and things like that. And it doesn't vibe with them. Um, but everyone I've had on the show in every single episode, I'm, I'm happy I got to talk to them and have them on the show because it's still super fun to me. Uh, to be able to talk to to all these different people and and have that experience, um, but for like specific uh, like industries, I love talking to people in like the film industry or anyone working with music. Uh, it's it's stuff that I'm passionate about. I like creating anyone that creates content in general. I like really talking with them about it because it's something I'm passionate about is making content. I like music. I like film, TV. I like writing. Anyone that writes, writers are always fun to have on because that's something I do a lot of. And have a lot of issues with my own, <laughs> my own writing ability. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's super interesting to talk to people and get, it, it helps me. Like, it's almost like therapy to me to be able to talk to these people and get insight on how I can improve myself in those areas. And after like a hundred episodes, I mean, even after we're, we have, uh, 38 episodes out right now. And even after mm-hmm. 38 episodes, like I've learned so much from talking from so like so many different kinds of people um, mm. from all different kinds of fields. So I can only imagine how much you've learned about the world and about just humanity in general, uh, having so many episodes under your belt. Yeah. We've had people from all over the world on too. Like, I mean, not that like people, like all these people like in England, for example, it's not like their culture is radically different from the U S or like people in Canada, maybe, you know, it's, it's relatively similar culture wise, but we've had people on from, you know, all over. We have people from India, you know, like Saudi Arabia. Um, I'm trying to think. It's hard. It's it's like 120 guests, probably 120, 130 different guests, probably. But even within the U.S., we've had a, a bunch of people on that are have like they come from very different areas than I'm from, so it's a different experience. It's a different culture, so to speak. Um, it is interesting to hear from all these different people from all over the world. I mean, even Klaus, when he's on the show, was in Japan for some time. I mean, we've had, you know, it's just, it is interesting talking to people who have all these different backgrounds and different viewpoints on just anything in general, just because of where they're from and kind of their upbringing. Yeah. I've been super surprised by even like, uh, I know that, have you seen the Spotify wrapped thing that they do every, every year? I did. Yeah. I, 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 I'd never got around to really looking at it too much this year. I saw it happened and I just, for every reason, I got caught up with all sorts of other stuff, and I never got around to actually looking into it too much. Yeah, I took a look at our Wrapped, and I've mm-hmm. seen people listening from Egypt and from all all over the world, That's and I'm cool. like, geez, it's so cool. You know, people are like listening to me spout off about drugs, you know, thousands of miles away. It's just, it's, it's a trippy world we live in right now, man. It's a, it's a cool time. Yeah, it is. Like I said, uh, I think I can pull it up here real quick, actually. Uh, oh, I gotta remember how to go to this because I never I. The thing I focus on the most is like, you know how many how many listeners we have, um, you know the downloads things like that. It's like our audience here. 
we've got like us uh we've got yeah india i can tell you exactly why uh we have an audience in there canada germany nigeria do, 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 do. unknown why is unknown such a high percentage that's kind of weird um we have a lot of we have you know brazil peru chile we've got <laughs> okay we've got south africa you know we got all over the place we got some from japan it's pretty cool australia new zealand it it is interesting you know getting listeners from all over the place it's a little con- I, now that i'm looking at this it is a little concerning why unknown is <laughs> unknown is at 11% of our listeners yeah, i don't what know why unknown be applying to that's kind of strange it's higher than some of the other countries and i don't understand why <laughs> People like, listening from space, maybe the International Space Station, or like are they behind on a, a VPN? Maybe is maybe that's, that's possible. Why? That is possible. It's a little strange, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is crazy. And then you know we have uh, you know especially not, not some of the people we've talked to a lot in the Discord uh, that reasonable realistically our Discord is completely dead. It's not something I focus on. It died off a bit after the uh, that was mainly for like people from the chat uh, when I was streaming a lot more. Now it's just like direct messages more than anything or people sending me emails or whatever through the website. Um, but like she, she was one of the people in our chat all the time for uh, on Twitch. She did a lot of the artwork for us. Um, she did like all of the emotes that we used on stream. She did the artwork for those. Um, she did like my Twitter icon for me. So it's, I mean, I never would have met someone to do like, I would have had to go on like Fiverr or something probably to, have somebody make the uh, all that stuff for me, but she did it for us, and I appreciated her a lot for that. It's like stuff like that. Having a community is very rewarding and also strange, to be honest. It's not something I would have seen coming in my life before I did the brand. Yeah, it's definitely not something that we grew up um, like indoctrinated into you know like the kids nowadays mm-hmm. i feel like they're they're growing up into like being automatically thrown into online communities and it's mm-hmm. something that at least like for my age group is sort of because uh, i'm i'm 33 it's like a new thing for me and it's a new experience so like we we have like this we're in this age group where like we experienced the world before the internet and now yeah. we're experiencing like the world after and it's so amazing. It's such a drastic change in just 15 or 20 years. I think I'm right on the cusp then because I'm, I'm 28. I'll be 29 mm-hmm. next month. Um, when was this? I think I'll be, oh my God, I'm going to have to pause. I'm, this episode might come out on my birthday if I'm thinking correctly. So maybe I'll be 29 by the time this comes out. Well, happy birthday. Man. Oh, it'll come out the day before. Oh, okay. The whole bit's ruined now. Happy um, birthday anyway, yo. <laughs> yeah. But what I was getting, my point was, uh, like I growing, like when I was little, I didn't have the internet, right? As, especially growing up in an area where like technology is not very like prominent. Like it, it's a very laid back old timey area. And, uh, so like I grew up for the most part, like as a young child, I'm talking like before I was even a teenager, like eight, nine, ten, wasn't really on the internet a lot at all. And uh, so I spent most of my time like outside or like, you know, going to like other people's houses and spending time like playing outside or whatever. And then as I got into like middle school and high school, the internet became very prominent. You know, MySpace had gotten big, you know, then Facebook and Twitter. That's when they really started taking off. And then middle school into high school is when YouTube really took off. 
as far as like community, the community aspect of it. Cause YouTube really got big 2005 ish, 2006 is when it, you really saw the exponential growth I'd say. Um, and I got really, that's when I got really into like video games in general. Uh, you know, I got really big into like the call of duty YouTuber community. I started uploading and that was the first like online community that I became a part of. And it was weird. It's still weird to me that that's like the concept of like an online community meeting people spending a, a, a probably the majority of your free time online hanging out with people as opposed to going to your friends' houses and having parties or whatever in person. It was weird to me that that was the thing that was going on. And you can make some really, really close friends within those communities, you know, as we're seeing now. And I'm sure as you see with your, you know, with your brand, I mean, you yeah. can make some very, very close friends and some, uh, some lifelong acquaintances, you know, just digitally online. Don't mean to brag. We had uh, two people start dating as a result of our, our Twitch streams. Oh my God. I don't know that how is it's amazing. going currently. Maybe, the, maybe it went very sour. I uh, couldn't say for sure, for certain, but hopefully it's still going well. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing that like content creators don't really take into consideration, or at least maybe in the beginning is like the massive effect that you could potentially have on the world or on people around you, mm -hmm. you know, just with, you know, it's the butterfly effect. One episode that you put out could affect someone's life in, in, you know, so many significant ways. That is something I actually took into account for very early on. Um, we had, I think it was like episode two or three. Uh, we, we were still doing it live at the time we did. We, I forget if we were on mixer or Twitch at the time. I don't remember, but we would, it was all of us in the call together, the three of us at the time. And we had the chat in the background. Uh, you know, we were talking with the chat as we recorded and, uh, the low point in our show for sure. Uh, we live reacted to like Kobe Bryant's, death essentially like his helicopter went down we were sitting like i can't believe this happened you know and we're reacting to it like as as the like news is unfolding and uh to me i was like the, like looking back that i was like that was so inappropriate that was like that is we should absolutely not have done that you know it like that to me was like this is uh can't what is the word it, irresponsible it was so irresponsible so i'm like live reacting to something would uh, at least of that, you know, seriousness and that magnitude was woefully irresponsible because we don't have the facts. We don't have all the information. It's just crude. Um, and like, that was something I, I realized immediately afterwards and it kind of wrestled with it in my own mind for a while. I was like, what kind of content are we actually going to put out here? You know, it, that at least, I mean, it, with that in particular, it's like, this cannot, we can't have like a comedy spin to this. There are other like horror. We can have dark humor, and that to me is different than like I don't, I don't know how to word it. Like if that makes sense, like it's there's difference between you know talking about something like that in poor taste and then having dark humor. Um, but that was something that really wrestled with me for a while in my own mind because I was like, what kind of content am, am I wanting to put out to people? Like I have an audience, you know. Even at the time, I was like, with the age range, we weren't certain about it because it was so early on. I was like there are people who are probably like under the age of 18 listening to this, who lied about their age on whatever streaming service they're listening to, you know, is this really the type of content I want to push out to people molding their young malleable minds around? That was, I don't know. That was something I really wrestled with for a while. 
Yeah, I mean, I I wrestle with it too because you know I'm talking about drugs. You know, mm-hmm. basically, like as I said right at the beginning of the conversation, I would never recommend that anyone do psychedelics. But you know, with a lot of the way that we glorify them on the podcast, like it really is, it's inviting people to do them and. You know, that's something that I do wrestle with. It's like, you know, is it really advisable for people to listen to our podcast and then to go out and think like, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be great. I'm going to meet God. And then they take a psychedelic and something bad happens, you know. But I mean, the way I justify, you know, what we do is, you know, this is something that I'm so passionate about. And I think this is something that is breaking into the mainstream and mm-hmm. what I really want to do with our podcast is to explore the ideas that psychedelics offer you and to also um, educate people. And, you know, I always say, you know, in the beginning of any of our episodes that are really focused on like heavily on on drugs themselves, that, you know, mm-hmm. these these conversations are for harm reduction and education purposes, you know, because yeah. I really want to do my best to inform you know, the people who are in my audience about, you know, the safe ways to go about doing these drugs, because there are unsafe ways to do psychedelics. And I would hate to see anybody out there who's trying to get into this to this realm, you know, to, to do them irresponsibly, you know, I've, I've done psychedelics in very irresponsible ways. And I've learned Mm -hmm. my lessons from that. And I just hope that I can I can spread the word and, you know, help to educate people onto, uh, you know, the beauty that you can experience with these substances, you know? I was going to say, especially if it's something you're passionate about, you want it to always be seen in like the best light possible. So it almost adds that extra feeling of responsibility to make sure you're putting forth the, you know, you're putting your best foot forward with it when you're bringing it up, when you're educating people on it. Like you want to give it its, you know, it's time in the limelight, limelight in the best light possible. Yeah, because, you know, these these things, uh, you know, especially with drugs, with anything taboo, really, you know, uh, they're stigmatized. And there Mm -hmm. is definitely a large number of people who look at uh, drugs as like a really bad thing. Like drugs are all bad, just blanket statement, Mm -hmm. you know. But one of the things that I've learned along the path here is that drugs aren't bad you know, people are, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, they're just tools and the way that we use them determines whether or not, you know, the situation is good or bad. So in my opinion, just responsibly using the tools around you is super important and just educating mm-hmm. yourself and, uh, you know, just expanding your breadth of knowledge around these types of things is important. Yeah, I totally agree, man. That, that, I don't know, that's kind of, it's, it's not quite the same since we're not really educating people on content here, but like, it, like you said, it, being responsible about it and, and educating people on things uh, just in general is kind of the approach I'm sort of trying to lean into. Obviously, we're, we lean more towards like discussion and comedy than anything here, but I I have taken that. It's always in the back of my mind to kind of be responsible about the information I put out and, uh, you know, be careful about, you know, not saying something that could cause harm in one way or another, however that might work out, but it is something I keep in mind. Yeah. We also live in a time of like canceling where Mm -hmm. if you say one thing wrong or if somebody digs up something from years ago that you said that's questionable, you know, you could potentially get canceled. So anybody who's creating content has to be very wary of that. It is interesting to see, like, I mean, that's not, we said a lot of outrageous things on the show 
I'm not even concerned about being canceled because I'm just going to, it is what it is. I'm like, I've said it, whatever I'm moving on. But it is, it is interesting to me. If you look at like the aspect of like uh, people who use like, you know, the only fans or uploading, uh, you know, lewd content online because it makes them a small amount of money. Now I'm curious to see in like 10 to 15 years, if those people, if like how many of those people regret it, because I, I don't know, I feel like there's this sense of uh, it'll disappear eventually. You know, like people just forget about it or whatever. It's not going away. Yeah, you'd have to assume that like the person would become conscious of the detriment of like their actions too, which I, I've yeah. met like a lot of people that do that. They just don't care. You know, they're just like, oh, I'm not I trying made to put my money. people down that do that. I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing, but it is interesting. Like, I wonder how many of these people take into account like, I wonder if I'm going to be embarrassed by this years later, like, or if they have kids, if they're going to be like, feel ashamed of themselves when they have kids, you know, I think the people who are at the top of the industry, uh, you know, they, they're probably fine. They're making a lot of money to me. It's the people who think, Oh, I can make some money doing this. And they, you know, they upload all this content of themselves in very revealing, exposing ways. And then they might make like a suit, like a couple of dollars, it's like, was this really worth it? Like that, those are the people I'm referring to. Like if they're going to regret it more than anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely get that. Yeah. I could see that happening for sure. It's like the, the lay person who wants to become like the famous, like top, um, mm-hmm. influencer, you know, those kind of people I, I could definitely see. Yeah. My sister um, is one of these people. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, my girlfriend and I make fun of her all the time for like, uh, with, with some of our other, my other siblings. Because it's like my sister wants to be one of these like famous influencers, but she lacks the creativity and the know-how to actually accomplish her goals. So it's just her poorly copying other people and then suffering because of it. One of our famous examples, one of our favorite ones rather, uh, I, I don't know who she took the idea from. My, my girlfriend showed me the, uh, the picture she clearly copied it from. And it's my sister in the woods with like a mirror for some reason, but she's draped like vines all over herself to give her, I think, what was the theme? She was trying to be like an elf or something. Um, but she ended up getting a poison ivy rash because she wrapped herself in poison ivy. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And I just laughed so hard when uh, my girlfriend was telling me about this. Yeah, man. You know, I I think it's like the desire to become an influencer. If that is the thing that's motivating you to create the content, I think that's where the problem is. You should be creating content that you love, that you're passionate about and expressing yourself through it. And then hopefully enough people catch on to it and then you might become, you know, prominent in some way, shape or form. But like, I know people too, who, um, I know this one person who he like, he's so desperate to become an influencer that he's tried everything, everything, stand up mm-hmm. comedy. He's tried podcasting, streaming, voiceover, um, uh, hip hop, like everything. I mean, and it's like, he'll, he'll spend like a, a few weeks doing one thing. And then mm-hmm. if it doesn't catch on and go viral, he'll quit and move to something else because it's mm-hmm. like these influencers, they, They want to find a way to catch on and become viral. That's the goal. But like you said earlier in the conversation, I think the goal should be consistency and doing what you really love and Mm -hmm. care about. 
that's a, like people have given me not a hard time, but people have been like, you should really get back into Twitch stream. Like, I don't know why you don't do that. I'm like, I'm not passionate about it. And people are going to know immediately that I'm not passionate about it when I, when I, if I were to start doing it again, I don't want to do something if I'm not enjoying it because other people are not going to enjoy watching me not enjoy something in that way. There's difference. There's a difference between me, like doing something on stream where I'm like, you know, taking shots of hot sauce. I'm not enjoying that at the time, at least. It's funny in hindsight and people enjoyed it, you know, when it was happening. But there's a difference between that and me sitting there like miserable, not enjoying a game, you know, you know, just not being fulfilled. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Right there with you. I also feel like people don't understand like what it takes to be like, quote unquote, famous, so to speak, like an influencer. I mean, not that I have like a, you know, speaker's podium to stand behind. I'm not famous or anything, but like. I think people see the influencers like, you know, whatever TikToker whose whole thing might be like pranks. It's like, oh, I could do that. They don't understand what it takes to set these things up. The like SEO, like the marketing of it, the branding of it, getting it popular, you know, making it make its rounds. You know, I don't think people understand like all of the work that goes into it. And I think a lot of people don't take into account the side effects of notoriety where it's like, oh, now people are interested in you, especially like women online in particular are particularly vulnerable in the sense of like they get stalkers that want to come to their home or track them down or whatever, won't leave them alone. They're harassing them on all sorts of social media channels. I don't think people take a lot of that into a, into the thought process when they start doing stuff. Yeah. And a guy like, uh, like Mr. Beast, Mm -hmm. he works so hard. I mean, all day, all night, like, all the time, no days off. Like these people work really, really hard, diligently to put out content as they do. Um, so I think a lot of people mm-hmm. they see influencing as being like easy. You know, it's oh, it's an easy job. Mm-hmm. I can just go on Instagram, take some photos of myself, take some photos of my ass, and put it on, and that's it. I'm gonna get rich. But no, it takes a lot, a lot like, of you hard. You can't work. just put it up and expect people to see it. Like how, like how do you expect to get this in front of an audience? It's like oh, people look for it. If I go into YouTube and type in like some, like I'll type in like Josh or whatever, right? If I, if my YouTube channel is named Josh or something and I just go into YouTube and type Josh, do you realize I will never find my channel, right? It's never going to, there are so many other people named Josh. There are so many channels related to Josh, videos with Josh in the title. It's never going to happen. Like you have to stand out. You have to get like your, your branding and everything on point. You have to get your SEO, your keywords and stuff like that. People don't understand that. I feel like. And it's, it's interesting to see as, like I said, my, my sister, I, I love using her as an example of someone who has no clue what they're doing, but thinks she's going to be famous for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're just, they cling on to that, that, uh, that viral nature, maybe just one post. If I just get one mm-hmm. post to get a thousand likes or something, you know, she just gets one more post and another 50 guys in their mid forties and fifties like it. She's going to go famous. <laughs> Yeah, is that really it's the audience you want? Like, yeah, you, like, it is creepy. That, that is literally her audience. It's on Instagram. Is it's her uploading like? No, it's not OnlyFans style content. It's not that lewd, but mm-hmm. it's you know it's uh, I don't know what's the word I'm thinking for, revealing. Mm-hmm. I guess you'd say, uh, you know, it, it is literally like forty and fifty year old men, ma- the majority of them. And I'm like, yeah. that's just creepy more than anything. That's not the type of people you want to associate with yourself with is middle-aged men trying to like stare at like young women online. 
Yeah, definitely not the type of uh, audience that you or I are after, I would not say. No, no. I don't know. Right, we've kind of gone into the weeds here. I actually didn't have anything else to ask. We're a, little, we're a bit over an hour here anyway. I don't know if there's anything in particular you wanted to bring up. Oh, man, I really just enjoyed uh, conversing with you. You know, I think we're like-minded people, and uh, you know, yeah. I like what you're doing here with your show. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. really appreciate coming on. Next time, I'll have to have Klaus here because I know – this would be a lot more up his alley with the psychedelics and everything like that. He'd have a lot more experiences to talk about. Yeah, man, I would uh, definitely come on again. Awesome. Where can people go to check out your stuff? Uh, they can go to our website, which is pursuitofinfinity.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram at pursuit of infinity pod. And uh, we have a YouTube channel as well. Pursuit of infinity. Um, I think they introduced like a new tagging system. So we're just at pursuit of infinity. If you're going to use that method, mm-hmm. Um, and every major podcast platform. Awesome. And uh, people can check out deadjustproductions.live. Got links to all of our stuff on there. Check out all of our sponsors. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I had a good time chatting. Very informative. I appreciate it too, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And this has been episode 161, the Dead Just Productions podcast. We'll see you all next time. Bye. <laughs>